Welcome to Dr. Zoe Today, where the topics are real, raw, and relevant. Warning, do not listen to this show if you're sensitive to controversial issues or easily offended. Dr. Zoe and her guests are not to be held liable for any shock, pissing of the pants, sudden desire of change, or uncontrollable laughter. Now, here's your host, Dr. Zoe. Hey, all my sexy rock stars. This show is for you. Tonight, I have a very special guest from one of the best-selling, world-famous hard rock heavy metal bands that started way back in 1965 and even has a presence today that is iconic and legendary with over 100 million albums sold. My guest was their bassist for over a decade, toured the world over six times, and still has an amazing career in Hollywood as a producer, a composer, and a visual artist. So, just to give you a little taste. Here I am. Ralph Rickerman, welcome to Dr. Zoe Today. I want all my listeners to really get to know you. So before we get started, let's go ahead and give out your Instagram. My Instagram is Ralph Rickerman, just, you know, my name, uh, R-A-L-P-H space R-I-E-C-K-E-R-M-A-N-N. But you don't really need that much. If you put in Ralph and then a space and then an R, I'm usually the first one that shows up. All right. Awesome. I know you You and I spoke back when you were getting ready to go to the Oscars and the Vanity Fair party. And then last night, you're at a VIP party with Paris Hilton, who I know is a longtime friend of yours. So a lot of people know that you were in the Scorpions, right? So amazing, you know, 10 over, you did what, 12 years with them? 14. 14. Wow. And so six times you toured the world. Is that correct? Or is it more than that? <laughs> I honestly don't remember, but yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. My point is, is that now still you're at like every Hollywood party. You're hanging out with all the modern artists, today's artists, you know, top artists of today. You're rubbing elbows with everybody still. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, you're known for having your own amazing parties. And I know you're an amazing host because, you know, I even know people that have been to your parties. And the funny thing is, is that there was this hot chick. You have the hottest girls around you all the time, beautiful women. You're known for that, of course, but the life of the party. And so people keep having you around all the time. And a lot of people don't realize that you're still working in Hollywood. You're still, you're composing movie scores. You're doing so much. But before we get into all of that, um, I really want to talk a little bit about your backstory. Is that cool? Sure. All right. So you, where were you born? I was born, I know in, you were born Germany in Germany, but where in Germany? In a small, I mean, not small, but medium-sized city called uh, Lübeck, which is okay. about 30, 30 miles north of Hamburg. It's right by the Danish border, kind of like where the Vikings used to, you know, roam okay. in the Middle Ages or whatever you want to call it. Who doesn't love a Viking? And you're a big guy. You're tall, right? You're how tall are you? I'm six three and a little bit. 
Okay. So you're a pretty big, you're a pretty tall guy yourself. So maybe some of that Viking blood gone in you. And then like, what, tell me about your childhood. Like, what were your parents like? What did they do for a living? My parents, well, my father owned a big company like uh, demolition, um, uh, um, building houses, I mean, destroying, I mean, because there's a lot of old buildings there. Um, so construction, demolition, he had a container service where you deliver containers to people that want to get rid of junk or trash, which is kind of a big deal in Europe. It's not so big here in America. But uh, they, you know, drop off containers and then people put all their stuff in there and then the driver picks it up again and dumps it. Or, you know, for example, in the houses that get demolished, there's a lot of metals, heavy metals in there, the pipes, all the cables. And, uh, you know, he used to, well, more, I mean, to make long story short, he was pretty well off. So I come from a, you know, pretty wealthy family that most of the time spoke only about business and, and financial stuff, which me as a young child, I was never really interested in. I was always more interested in artistic things and emotions, which was one thing that they never talked about. So I didn't really get along very well with my family, as you can probably imagine. And, okay. Uh, so how old were you? And how, how old were you when went? you got into music? When you got into music and you re- recognized your gift of music? Uh, first time I heard a live band was when I, I think I was five or six years old. My brother told, uh, brought me to a school concert or a concert at a school, and it was the first time I ever heard the sound of a bass guitar, and it made my stomach vibrate. And I called it, as a little child, <clears throat> I referred to it as boom, boom. So after that, I walked <laughs> around in the, in the house. You and know, now you like, still got that uh, boom, boom. <laughs> well, great. I mean, I don't really play that much bass anymore. But, right, but, right. Uh, I mean, you still got the boom, boom, though, house. right? You still, you still got it in you. Because, what? you know, I mean, you have a good time. I see you. I see you having a good time out there. And I think that it's amazing. I think it's awesome that you've really kept this uh, really positive, fun vibe, you know, throughout this, even though, you know, your career has been legendary. So let's talk a little bit more about, so what brought you, how well, did you come stop, to stop, America? Stop, stop. Go ahead. Wait, one second, one second, because the boom, boom back then, as now, probably just now, what you said, can be taken in two different directions. My parents <laughs> back then, because they always, they were very, you know, like, Germans are very open with their sexuality. You know, you can run around naked, whatever, whatever. A lot of things are legal that are here illegal. So right. they thought I wanted, I was talking about sexual things when I was talking about boom, boom. It took him about a year and a half to figure out that I was talking about playing the bass. So for, for my eighth birthday, I actually got a bass guitar, blew up every single radio in the house, and they finally figured out that I had no, you know, sexual intentions whatsoever. And it's the same now. People see me, as you just mentioned, with a lot of beautiful girls on my Instagram, and, you know, I have a lot of female friends that are very good-looking here in this town. 
but I have very, very few people that I actually, you know, do the bum bum with. I'm more like a long term <laughs> relationship kind of guy. And a lot of yeah. a lot of times people say like, Oh my god, you're with all these beautiful women, you must have like, yeah. you know, sex every night yeah. and I don't. I'm very, 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 very picky. Okay. And um, you know, I definitely had my well, time in the beginning of the band when I joined, you know, where it went crazy. But um that time has gone and passed. <laughs> That's the clear. Well, the up. funny the thing boom, is, boom. the funny thing is, Ralph, the way that I connected with you on Instagram was I'm originally from New Jersey, and so I always pay attention to all the spinoffs of, you know, Jersey reality shows. I actually just interviewed somebody from the New Jersey Housewives. I think I mentioned that to you earlier today or yesterday when we spoke. But the funny thing is, is you were dating a girl. Uh, her name is Susie. You were dating her, and I was connected to her from Double Shot at Love, which was a spinoff from Jersey Shore. And this girl, I don't know how long you guys were together, but I imagine there was some boom boom going on because you were with her for a little while. And I have to say, Ralph, she's one of the hottest girls. Absolutely stunning, gorgeous girl. Like, I'd sleep with her, you know, and I'm not really totally into girls, but I'd sleep with her. She's that hot. And um, so, I, I mean, think, go ahead. No, I, th- I think everyone would sleep with her. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've met someone that wouldn't want her. <laughs> yeah, she's gorgeous. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Yeah. So this just gives you an idea of the type of women that Ralph hangs out with. But you also... Um, it seems like you've have a, you have a lot of parties yourself, right? You have a lot of parties and a lot of your friends with a lot of female celebrities as well. So by the way, I was actually with Susie. I was with her kind of funny. I was friends with her. Like we were like party acquaintances. Uh, I don't party every day. I only party one day a week. I mean, like I, I work every single day, all day throughout the week. And then yeah. one day a week, whether it's Friday or Saturday, I usually only go to I don't go to clubs. I don't go to bars. I don't even go to restaurants that much. I usually only go to like friends' houses, or right. if there's any red carpet events like Oscars, Golden Globes, you know, Grammys and stuff like that. I go, I attend stuff like that as well. Or yesterday, Paris certain thing. Um, but uh, Susie and me, we knew each other for five years. There was never anything going on. And then one night, she ended up spending had to spend the night at my house because she was at my neighbor's house. Got really really shit faced. Because she, you know, used to be called Boozy Susie. I guess even on that show she was drinking all the lot. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we actually fell in love. I don't know. We were together for a year. We never broke up. But I think it was too much for both of us. Yeah. And she was looking to get married eventually, which I think, I don't think she's a marriage type because she's actually a lot wilder than I am. But um, really, yeah, really. Yeah. Well, have you ever been married or had kids or anything? Yes, I have been married okay. before I joined okay. the band. Actually. I got married okay. to a girl for lasted about for three or four months, but she talked me into it. It was not my decision. She talked you into it. What did she? How did she talk you into it? Well, let's. I want to talk about how you came to the U.S. and how the opportunity came about with the Scorpion. So let's back up for a second. 
because, you know, I know life is good and I love the fact that you always talk about living in the now and enjoying the moment because I'm all about that. Like, I love the power of now. I love living in the now. I truly believe that we're here in this time-space reality for a reason. But let's talk about, like, what brought you to the U.S. and then how did the opportunity with the Scorpions come about? Uh, okay, so I actually have my own band. In um, I think I started in the 80s when I was really young, and uh, I found this singer who reminded me a lot of like Jim Morrison, mm. uh, and I like I like singers. I, I prefer a singer that has really good lyrics and stories to tell than to a singer that can do like all the la la la, you know, all the yeah. you know whatever uh, fancy things and doesn't really have anything to say. So. Um, I found one of those guys, started a band with him. We worked for about four years. We had an amazing band together in Germany. Everyone told us we were 10 years ahead of our times, which we were. And um, they said, you have to either go to England or to America if you actually really want to get a real deal. So then I sold everything within one week. And I said, I'm going to America. And, you know, the singer as well, except he came nine months later. So, because uh, he was kind of flaky, and uh, you know, he also was kind of like Jim Morrison, always living in the subconscious, you know, lots of drugs and stuff. Yeah, my parents um, were hippies. I know all about that. And my father was a musician. You know, he, yeah, he wasn't really a hippie. He was just like, you know, just uh, just his personality. You couldn't take it away from him. I didn't want yeah. to. It was just. I mean, I'm I'm not a druggie, but. But he was just, the way how he was, you know, just like Jim Morrison. Imagine Jim Morrison without ever taking yeah. any LSD or hallucinogenics or whatever. It wouldn't he have, was still have been in his, more in his subconscious than he was in reality. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Like a deep well, yeah. thinker, you know, philosopher all, type guy. No, he was not a deep thinker. He was just a, <laughs> an emotional person that was just experiencing and living life. And then all his lyrics were basically stories out of his life, out of his life, you know, like experiences. But most of them, he was just he was just describing his uh, journey in the subconscious world. You know, you can reach okay. that through meditation as well, or yeah. like when you dream. You know, sometimes I used to wake up uh, and dream the whole song, and I went to the piano and wrote the whole song down that I dreamt. So you know, there's many ways of getting there, but uh, you know. Um, Jim Morrison chose one of the easiest ones. So did my singer, which is, you know, helping yourself with substances. So, uh, but that was also his downfall because uh, when we were here in America, we got here, I think, in like 88. And I was here for a few years. I was here for two or three years illegally because I overstayed my welcome. Um, it took a long time to like put a band together here that actually moved you know, some, or made some moves. Yeah. And uh, we got, we got so far as to where we were selling out every place we played. And we were like the most talked about band here in LA at that time. That was okay. about in like 1990. What was the, the name was of that Beyond band, the Blind. Okay. Beyond the Blind. The songs are still okay. out there. You can listen to them. You know, under my name, you just put in my name, Ralph Wickerman, and then you put in a few different names. I think there's Black and White, Kind, uh, No One Likes Me, I think the song is called. Then there is um, 
Stranger on the Sidewalk. There's a few songs that I released that were all recorded in Germany uh, right before the wall came down in Berlin. Okay. And um, so we put a pretty amazing project together here that, you know, uh, everyone was super excited about. Like We had literally like Van Halen uh, uh, rehearsed next to us. And they were listening. They stopped playing, listened to us, and opened the door. I mean, they, we opened the door, and there was, like, the guys from Van Halen standing there, and they're like, who the hell are you guys? We never heard music <laughs> like this before. Yeah. And uh, even then, we were still, like, you know, years ahead of our time because we sounded exactly like Kirk Cobain and all these grunge guys sounded, but in the 80s. Yeah. So, like, years later, everyone sounded kind of like the sound that we had, but except we were even a little deeper and the music was more versatile. I, I included you know, classical music into rock and, and I mixed everything with everything, kind of like Pink Floyd did back in the days as well, yeah. except more modern. So then on the most important day of our career after four years or five years with this guy, we had every single record company you know, attending to one of our concerts it was completely sold out. And uh, Herman, my singer, he didn't sleep for about a week and, uh, you know, was completely fucked. Excuse my language. I don't know if I can use that language. No, here. yeah, you can say whatever so. you want. You can say whatever you want on Dr. Zoe today. You're free to speak your mind and cuss as much as you want. No, I'm not a big cusser. I don't, I don't really like negative language, but... But I'm a positive thinker, but, you know, like sometimes he was just completely screwed up. So he couldn't yeah. even talk. He had no voice. And then he was, we went on stage and, you know, he was just like, ah, he couldn't sing at all. So all the record mm. companies that came up, they said, your music. And I did, I composed everything. I was a music, musical director of the whole thing. It was my baby. She said, with you, we sign you any day. You're absolutely amazing, but the singer has to go. And I said, absolutely not, because the singer is the whole key of this project, because, you know, the lyrics and blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, but we couldn't understand the word he was saying. He couldn't even sing. He couldn't, couldn't even talk. Right. So after that, we had a big falling out. He had to go back to Germany. And he was a fan. He used to import and export fast cars. He had some big Porsche from Frankfurt to Hamburg, was driving back. Of course, sleep deprived and got into a big accident and was hospitalized for nine months. And then I was stuck here in America without all my dream, with my all my dreams shattered. So yeah. that's when that girl that I was dating talked me into marrying her because I had nothing mm-hmm. left. And then I actually yeah. started working. I started working construction with illegal Mexicans for like $6 an hour. <laughs> wow. You know, wow. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then and how then did, so, okay. So then how did the yeah, opportunity then, uh, come up? So you kind of lost everything. You got married to this girl because I imagine, you know, it also was an attractive thing because you needed, you know, citizenship here in the United States as well, right? So, I mean, back then well, it was probably yeah. or something to be legally here, correct? That was a hook, yeah. That was a hook to, like, get me hooked in. <laughs> that, oh, you're going to need a green card. When you marry me, right. you're going to get a blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. But it was a mess. It was probably luck. a mess to get out of, right? It was a messy – was it messy she, to get out of it? She looked – no, no. I mean, she was kind of, like, even hotter than Susie, if you can imagine something like that. 
But, you know, except she was only like 20 years old or something. She's getting mad props and, uh, on the show tonight. Susie is a hottie. She's super beautiful. To walk around, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I mean, anyways. But uh, so we, it was very passionate back then. It was more like a lust relationship than love, right. probably, because she was also very dramatic. But um, uh, so she eventually talked me into it. And then four months later, it fell apart. And then a friend of mine called me, and I was I was done. I mean, like before that, like with another girl, uh, an apartment burned down to the ground where I literally had nothing oh left other than sneakers, a pair of pants, socks, underwear, and a t- one T-shirt. Wow. And my parents cut me off completely, so I had to borrow, you know, clothes from my friends because um, mm. I had nothing, I had no money. All the money burned, everything, everything was that I owned, except the only thing so, that I saved in the fire was my two bases. Yeah. So you really, you know, I have an amazing backstory and people that I deal with. Um, I am a confidant to celebrities and icons and high-profile individuals in business, um, sports, all that stuff. And that's what I've been doing for a living for many years. And it seems like the most successful people have had the greatest adversities. And adversity just seems to be the greatest launching pad for success. So when you're going through all this shit, when you're going through all this turmoil in your life, what was there something that happened within you, like an epiphany, an aha moment? Like, was there something that shifted in order to bring that opportunity to you or a mindset change or something? Nope, absolutely not. What I did is what, what all the what all the life coaches are preaching today is, you know, when you have a dream, which I did, hold on to your dream, talk about it as much as you can, even if you don't believe it yourself, okay? And I was, my actions were always like 10 miles ahead of, my, my miles was always 10 miles ahead of than my actions. I was speaking about becoming a, like a famous musician, not because of money or fame, but because I wanted to conquer the world with my talent. And um, which I knew I had, but I didn't really have all the knowledge. I wasn't as good as other people because I, 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 you know, didn't really want to play other people's music out. I was always jamming. Usually I was, you know, smoking a little bit of weed and just playing, 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 playing. So I had an amazing tone, but I didn't have as much theoretical knowledge, theoretic knowledge, music knowledge as other people. But, you know, I had this amazing dream and, I, I was just constantly talking about it, right? And I think I manifested over the years. It just manifested itself. That's what all the people say. The, you know, even the, yeah. I just saw a video, like a short video from what's his name, the guy that was in uh, Silence of the Lambs, like the guy that eats what's his name again, um, huge famous actor, old guy. What's his name? Anthony Hopkins. I saw oh, a short yeah, video. Yeah, yeah. I was yelling at people on Instagram. He says, whatever you do, don't stop dreaming. Don't stop, you know, uh, talking about it. Talk, right. talk as much shit as right. you're yelling at people. Talk as much as you can. Dream as much as you can. It will eventually happen. It will eventually manifest itself. And that's right. exactly what happened to me. I, but I didn't beautiful. know back then they didn't have any of these people. I just <laughs> I just did it. You know, it just came naturally out of yeah. me. I was just constantly yeah. doing but but 
I was also every day for a minimum four to six hours. Right. So you also right. have to combine I'm, all the yeah, bullshit and I all agree. the talk with hard work. Yeah. Right. I agree. And then eventually there, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree with you as far as life coaches, right? So I was an agent in the music industry, and then I switched over into being a confidential coach. And then life coaching became this oversaturated, cheesy market, and everybody and their brother and their sister, their uncle and their aunt, and Tom, Dick, and Harry, and, you know, became a life coach. And I was like, oh, this is a cheesy market. So we became consultants, and we've certified. My company has certified over 8,000 consultants, but everything that we teach and our program is all about visualization, manifestation. But the biggest thing is, is there's a lot of spiritual gurus out there who are so full of shit because they act like all they have to do is meditate and then the universe is going to bring it in their lap. But you have to take inspired action as well. So the fact that you didn't stop speaking your dream, but you also practice every single day, that was your inspired action is what brought you the opportunity. And then you manifested it. And that's, I love that. That's amazing. So take me to the point where they contact you or the actual opportunity happens with the Scorpions. So, I mean, I'm not even that much of a rocker. I, I didn't even know much about the Scorpions, to be honest. I mean, I like more a little bit more sophisticated music. I always have. And um, I heard about them when I was living in Germany when I grew up. I saw the sign, like the logo of few in a few clubs back when they started in the 70s and uh, when I was, like, super, super young or whatever. And so, or 80s, I think it was. And um, so uh, a friend of mine, his name is Edgar Patrick, he was playing with his band Bonfire, which, which, had, which was, like, one of those one-hit wonders in the 80s. Um, we used to always go to the Rainbow or to, like, events here in Hollywood together. Yeah. And he looked a little bit like the original drummer, her and Barbell from the Scorpions. And for some reason, I looked similar or like a similar height, similar hair, whatever, whatever, similar facial structures. And the bass player, Francis Buchholz, who I replaced, who also did all the financials in the band. And Edgar was more familiar with all this hard rock, heavy metal stuff. Um, so one day he called me when he went back to Germany. He said, hey, dude, the, the, the Scorpions just fired the bass player. You're the perfect you know, replacement because you look like the guy, except you can really play because Francis was not really a very good player. So anyways, uh, so then I hung up the phone and said, dude, I'm sleeping. Call me back later. I was not, I'm like, I don't even know Scorpions. Who is that? And then uh, he called me back, yelled in my ear, blah, 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 blah. Biggest band in the world, winds of change, yada, yada, yada. Says okay, okay, okay. So I called the drummer in Monaco, the drummer from the Scorpions, introduced myself, and uh, he said, "Oh yeah, I need a bass player because I'm doing a solo project here with an English guitar player. Uh, can you send me a tape?" So I sent him a tape with like all like jazz rock, like fretless bass, like stuff like that. He called me "Can you also play rock?" And I was very arrogant. I mean, not arrogant, but like very. Not, not. I mean, how do you say that? Very confident, not arrogant, but confident. I just told him, yeah, dude, I can play anything, okay? I mean, there's nothing I cannot play, okay? I mean, obviously, you heard how I play, you know, rock yeah. is easy. I can play a boom, 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 you know? So he said, well, great. Then, you know, uh, can you come over here to Monaco and play on this record for me? So I borrowed all my last, like, my last money or whatever together for one for a one-way ticket, 
And um, I flew over there, and he picked me up like in a golden Rolls Royce and brought me to this huge estate in the south of France by Monaco with like hundreds of golden of platinum records on the wall. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Mm. And he had a studio there, and I played on that record, which was horrible because the guitar player played, you know, always like a little bit forward, and he always played a little bit like um, lazy, you know, the drummer. So the click was somewhere in the middle. I'm like, okay, I play somewhere around it. It was not very good music. But then after three days, I walked by his office, and he was talking to the rest of the guys in Germany and said, hey, I think I found the perfect guy for us. He plays like a young god, and he even almost looks like our old bass player, and he's German, and he lives in America. You guys got to meet this guy. <laughs> so then yeah. we flew. A few days later, we flew to Germany. We met all the other guys in uh, Han- uh, uh, by Hanover and Rudolf's house, the guitar player's house. And we talked for about half an hour. Then uh, we got along immediately. It was good chemistry in the room. And then we played the songs. And the funny was because they couldn't even remember the whole music. I had to tell them how the music went because they were arguing. No, it goes like this. I'm like, no, 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 guys. It goes like this, like this, like this. Wow. So they were very impressed. They, ne- they never heard a bass player like me before play. I mean, they didn't even know someone could play like that. And then I actually, I, then I you know, went to the drums when they were, like, taking a little break, and I played the little drums, and I was, like, grooving, you know, and they were like, wow, this guy can even play drums, and yada, yada, yada. And then the lawyer showed up. They were very rude. All of a sudden said, okay, you got to go. We have a big business meeting now because, you know, the guy stole, like, what, $20, $30 million, which was quite a big deal for them. Who stole? So Who stole $20, million, $20 million? Because they, that was a lot of money the, back then. The, the former bass player. Francis okay, Grupo, and this yeah. is in what 
Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't there then, but that's what I heard. Right. Yeah, he had right. a lot. Yeah, but not me because for some reason they never listened to any of the tapes. Then uh, I went. I have to fly in my so whatever so-called wife. I didn't even I didn't even have papers then, so I you know fly through her in. I had to go back to my parents, you know, ask them for some money to help because I couldn't get back into the States, and I was working on a record with Kingdom Come back then in the studio. I was doing all the drums, uh, keyboards, and, um, you know, all the, you know, computer programming, because I've always, yeah. always been good with that. And the singer Lemmy, Lenny Wolf, he was a, somewhat of a friend of mine. So I was working on that, and then I had to get back to that. So... Uh, my wife came for a little bit, and we stayed for about a week, and then we flew back together, and then they stopped me for like an hour and a half or two hours, and then they finally let me back in, because they figured out I was there for like quite some time illegal, <laughs> but wow. uh, since I was married, you know, they let me back in, and yadi yadi yadi. Then I went back to the studio a month later, or three weeks later, there's a I come to the studio with Lenny Wolf, the Kingdom Come thing. And there's a message for me. It says, call Monaco right away. So I call Monaco, like Herman, the drummer's wife, picks up, said, oh, my God, so good to hear from you. Uh, they want you to come back right away and play on the new single that they're releasing. And your ticket is in the, is already at the airport. Uh, you're flying tomorrow. You're coming back tomorrow to Germany. <laughs> so then I flew back. And um, then I played on the single. And which was Ave Maria, Ave Maria No Moro. They, I don't know, mm. they, they turned it into a pop single. And then um, and then this uh, guy said, so we were like for a few days there. And they were very impressed because I played like fretless bass, which is something that they never heard before, fretless bass. I mean, they heard it, but they never really used it. So then they said, okay, we got to go to Visselor to Amsterdam to mix the song. Do you want to come with us? And I did. We were there for a few days. Then Doc McGee, who was at that time the biggest manager, I'm sure anyone who has seen that movie, The Dirt, about Motley Crue, yeah. uh, remembers that one part, you know, before Ozzy Osbourne snorts all the, drinks his own piss and snorts the uh, ants <laughs> on the floor. My parents went to a concert yeah. where he bit the head off a bat, they told me, Ozzy Osbourne. He, like, bit the head off a bat at a concert when they were young. So, yeah, go ahead. So so this well, manager, I mean, he was Cooper one of the... did a lot of things. Like, but that, yeah. that could have been just, yeah. like, you know, like a fake. I mean, but I, I don't know. Anyway, so the the same manager that managed Motley Crue, Kiss, uh, you know, um, uh, what else? Uh, 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 All the major rock bands back, back then. Yeah. Bon, bon Jovi, you know, the biggest right. rock manager in the history, right? He came flying in, Doc McGee, and then he said, like, hey, you know, so uh, I'll be, I have to go back to the hotel, but whenever you're ready, come to the hotel. I want to talk to you. So I came back to the hotel three or four hours later. He was still sitting in the bar. He said, what do you want to drink? So I have a beer. He says, well, here, this, listen, it looks like you're going to be the new bass player of the Scorpions. How much do you want? <laughs> and then I almost passed out or something. So that's when it happened. <clears throat> I didn't know what to say, of course. But Are you uh, happy with what you asked 
before or when you're in that position, did you not really know how much to ask for? Because I imagine you were independent. You weren't under management or anything like that. It wasn't like you had, you know, uh, someone that you could really talk to to get an idea of what you should ask for. But now that you look back on it, are you happy with what you asked for? Yeah, it was fair. I made a really good, I mean, I, they paid for everything. They, I lived for like three years in hotels. They paid for all my hotels, rental cars, you know, uh, most of the food. And uh, I made a lot of money. I got a brand new Mercedes, like the newest model, the convertible, which is like the, what, $160,000 car was back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had more money on my account than I've ever seen before or that I could count. I didn't even know how many zeros it was. And, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, but, but, but to, to be honest, <laughs> for, all those, for all those people out there listening that think, oh, my God, one of these days when I have yeah. this or that, when I'll be famous or rich, then I will yeah. be happy. It does not happen. Nothing changed. I never felt any happiness or any change kick in. You're the exact same person, whether yeah. you're driving in a Ferrari or like a $200,000 Mercedes or you have a like $200 Volvo, nothing changes, okay? Yeah. Forget yeah. about that dream. Forget about so that true. illusion. It's bullshit, okay? It does not happen. You're the same person with all the same emotions, yes. with all the same, uh, you know, like desires and everything. You know, you, it, it, it never kicks in like, oh, wow, now I'm a world-famous rock star. Within yeah. one month, I was on every cover of every magazine all around the world. I never felt any change. Yeah. You know, this is the theme um, with everyone that I have as clients and everyone that's come on the show that's had, you know, notoriety, icons, celebrities, whatever. You know, I have 27 NFL clients that I've dealt with. And, you know, they'll all of a sudden get these contracts and they'll make all this money, whether it's in sports or entertainment or whatever it is. And uh, in business, even, you know, I've got a couple billionaires that are clients and, you know, everyone says the same thing that you just said. It does. It's not about the money, the cars, the jewelry, the women, the whatever. You're the same person. It's it doesn't happiness comes from within, you know. Yeah. And uh, I was always happy since I was a little child. And I yeah. am always every I'm always happy. I'm always always positive. So, what know, happened I with your Ralph? Ralph, what happened with your family after you got the success and the notoriety? Did you make peace with them, or were you still kind of estranged from them, or what ended up happening with that? No, I'm I'm a forgiver. I never ever yeah. uh, you know draw out fights or like uh, disputes. So I, I I forgive everyone. I always give people yeah. like a second, a third, even fourth uh, chance. So, um, yeah. because people, people, one thing is very important to carry throughout life. Nobody is perfect. And also That's when right. you look for partners, if you think, oh my God, I need this perfect, whatever, it does not exist. Okay. It's all about chemistry between you both. There's right. no such thing as a perfect partner or perfect relationship. It does not exist because nobody is perfect, including right. yourself. We and unforgiveness only hurts us. And yeah, and when we don't forgive yeah. someone, so, even if it's our own parents, if we don't forgive, because I know from experience and from, you know, just counseling people for so many years, if we hold on to unforgiveness, it doesn't hurt the other person. All it does is hurt us. 
and we can't be free. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you that's awesome that you're like all that. These Never, never, never blame anyone for anything. Everything That's is right. you. Everything right. is just you. hundred percent. And one of the one of the one of the greatest people that always reminds me of all the things that I believe in. He also never says anything that I haven't heard before, I haven't experienced before. But yeah. he reminds me sometimes of the things that are important in life. Is this guy Sadhguru? I highly recommend oh, for everyone that has like, finds unhappiness unhappiness uh, or sometimes confusion in their life, yeah. just put him on YouTube, listen to him yes. for like 10 to 15 minutes, yes. and you will immediately you find your happiness or your balance yes. again, because everything he says, he speaks nothing 100%. but the truth, and he doesn't, he doesn't preach, he doesn't recommend yeah, he's you very to do calm. anything. I've been listening to him for other years. Than what, yeah. Other than what you already carry within yourself, other than what yes. you already know, you just got to silence right. yourself, listen to your voices, trust your yes. instincts. Your instincts are always right. That's and right. And don't blame anyone else. You know, like, it's your life, right. you know. Yeah, we manifest so, uh, yeah, our own lives. My- We're the creators of our own reality. Let's, and I exactly. agree with you 100%. I love that you are enlightened. You know, I love that you're not only you're living free to be who you are and you're enlightened as well. I want to ask you, during your stint with the Scorpions, which you said was 14 years, um, I and you're traveling and everything, what was the greatest experience you had, like, on stage? Like, what, what audience? Is there any uh, tour or particular concert or event that stands out to you where it was just like, wow, this is an amazing feeling. I'm right here right now in the moment, you know, like, is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah, I can tell you one thing. Uh, I can tell you when it started getting boring. It took about, like, uh, two <laughs> or three years playing the same. Because, I mean, all, listen, all the things were fantastic, you know, all the shows. The biggest show we we ever played was about 750,000 people in Poland on an airfield. Wow. It yeah. wasn't even a festival. It was just a Scorpion concert with a local band opening up. And, and it was raining and cold and, dri- and uh, like a drizzling, ra- uh, cold and windy. Um, so that was huge. But, but you know, the bigger the concert, the, the less excitement I felt. Because, okay. uh, you know, because the, the, the audience is so far away. You just see an ocean of people. Yeah. You and like, I never you get like nervous. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't get nervous or whatever when I go on TV or on stage or in front of cameras. I feel like, you know, it's my home. Like, I, I belong there. I always felt like that. So, but I can tell you when it started getting a little, you know, uh, oozy or like a little boring for me after about two and a half or three years playing wow. the same songs again and yeah. again and again. That's and again. It's like a ballet. <laughs> it just repeats itself. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you know. You I just, get bored really easy. I point. can't seem to like just stay in a certain situation for too long because I think I just want to experience a lot of different things. But so you did 14 years and you're telling me Ralph Workerman, you know, Scorpions, the bassist, this legendary music act, like you're telling me that you got bored after two and a half to three years. You were bored. No, no. I mean, I, listen. I'm, I'm an, I, I'm a, I, I love to improvise. Okay, that's how right. I taught myself how to play every instrument that I play. 
and even right. like composing everything. I mean, I studied four years on the conservatory classical music, uh, but most of the things I learned through just smoking a little bit of weed and just jamming yeah. with myself, you know, just jam, yeah. jam, jam. And also when I was a, when I was young, all we did, we were like, you know, seven, eight musicians in a big rehearsal room with like two drum sets, like five keyboards, uh, you know, two, three guitars, two guitars, two or three bass amps and shit. And we would just hang out and just jam for hours, just on like two or three harmonies, sometimes only on one harmony, you know, have a yeah. few hits out of a drum. Not much. Don't get super stoned like Snoop Dogg and those guys. But just like a little bit <laughs> elevated, you know, so you open up your we love you, senses, Snoop. whatever. We love you, Snoop, but yeah, we, I understand what you're saying. Because, you know, it's so, so funny, somebody I... said to me, somebody said to me the other day, because I'm, you know, I've smoked weed throughout my life, on and off, you know, I take breaks, though, and then I'll start, and somebody said to me, I'm like, yeah, I haven't smoked weed since January, I just wanted to take a break, I feel really mentally clear, and he said to me, well, Dr. Zoe, you're supposed to use weed as like a tea, like a herbal tea, and it just really put things in perspective to me. So it's not about like passing the blunts and doing all that, but a little bit. It's like a medicine, and I think that it really. I understand what you're saying. It's very true. So smoke a little bit of weed and jam out. That's how you learned everything. You feel like you really. Everyone like, is different. Yeah. Everyone is different. True, My first drug true. ever was LSD when I was 15. You wow. Know? 15. So I I. Yeah, I, I, so tell I, me, that, just that rattle off for our life. listeners, like what all, because you're, you know, the age that you were a rock star and, you know, you still are a rock star, but, you know, that you were in this band and you're traveling and everything. There's a lot of drugs. So, like, what, just rattle off whatever you're willing to admit, what drugs have you done? Well, I have tried, I mean, I think I've tried everything except. I've never tried any opiates like heroin or any of that stuff. And yeah. um, I also have never tried any roofies or any downers. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Coke at all. You know, like I, yeah. I've, tried, I've done it. You've tried it though, right? Really, really You've tried it, but you didn't really like it. On the it. two of yeah. us. Yeah. You know, one of the guitar players used to do it all the time. So sometimes, but I, I hate the feeling. I mean, it's good for about yeah. like, the first one or two lines but then it's just right. like you have you feel uneasy and ugh, this ugh scene, yeah the you know, crash yeah. is horrible so I, I right can't stand yeah it. yeah so um, yeah i only tried but, coke like for six weeks and i knew i felt like i was superwoman on it and then i knew i could never touch it again because it the and when you come off of it it was so horrible yeah. i mean it was no, horrific yeah, I, I, yeah it was horrible it's a, it's a bad it's bad i think for me, you know, LSD was, I mean, uh, weed was such an impactful drug because my first ever drug was LSD. And I did it quite a few times from from 15 until I was 17. It changed my way of thinking about, you know, life. It gave me a lot of wisdom at an early age. And yeah. I highly recommend for everyone, maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but I this is what I really believe in. I think well, everyone should do now. LSD. Yeah. No, There's no, like... no, 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 no microdosing. <laughs> Everyone should do a full-on LSD trip once in their life. Listen, the best example, best example, you're laughing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, no, no, I'm no. dead serious. I, I understand what you're 
saying. Like I completely understand. You know the guy, the guy, the the Macintosh guy. What's his name? The bad guy. The the Mac. The the Apple guy. What's his name again? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve Jobs became Steve Jobs. Why? Because he took one LSD trip and it changed his life. During this LSD trip, he heard his calling. Okay. Mm. After that, he started Mm -hmm. what he was doing. Yeah. And it was the same for me. (laughs) I it made me believe. And it's not a laughable subject. No, you know, I'm, they, so they I'm thinking about my first experience with LSD was when I was 21, and it was it was Fourth of July, Ralph, and I dropped acid, and it didn't kick in. So then I called the guy I got it from, and I'm like, "Yo, man, like this did not work." I drop another tab, right, of acid, and then I'm tripping balls. And then the next time that I, I tripped a couple times, and the next time I did LSD. Um, I made a life-changing decision that was one of the best decisions of my life. And um, so I'm hearing you. I, I can I understand exactly what you're saying. So Steve Jobs, and then with and you, it changed your yeah, life. Yeah, for example, in the Amazons, okay, up to this day, there's like, you know, tribes. They have been untouched by civilization. They've been doing it for many, many centuries. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, they do it. Because it's their rule. So when you right. hit puberty, which is in their case, I think like uh, uh, 11, 12, or 13, they blow like a mixture of like peyote and all kinds of other shit, which is way stronger than LSD, okay? Right. They blow it yeah. up your nose, and then they put the children like at least, I don't know, like 50 or 100 miles away from their village, Wow. And they have to find their trip for like, they don't trip just for one day. They trip for like three or four days. They trip their mm-hmm. balls out, okay? Hallucinations or whatever. Yeah. Uh, some, of them, some of them don't survive it. Some of them get killed during this process. Mm-hmm. And they never wow. find the village again. But the ones that do find the village and come back, when they come back, they know exactly what they're going to be in life, whether they're going to be a hunter, whether they're going to be a farmer, whether they're going to be a medicine man or whatever, whatever, right? That's this cool. is tradition yeah. in quite a few, in quite a few of these cultures, and it's worked for these people. And you know, I mean, you know, I can only speak the truth what worked for me. For someone else, right. it might be completely different. I was actually yeah. completely anti-drugs before my first LSD. But I was talked into it by a girl that I was in love with, and I hated drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. I was absolutely against everything. But yeah. You know, it showed me, it's what it showed me, that dreams can become stronger than reality. Right. Right. And this is a very important concept when you yes. have dreams, because musicians, any every artist in this world that is young has a dream. Now, making okay. the, turning this dream into a reality, you know, manifesting this takes a lot of energy, a lot of hard work, but it also yeah. takes takes like consistent doing, talking, doing, right. talking, believing, right. believing, believing. Or even if you don't right. believe, keep doing it, keep doing it. Whether you meditate, whether you just have it in the side of you. A lot of people already have it. They don't need any drugs it's ever. It's spiritual, I've met quite a right. Well, like it's that. believing in the spiritual realm. I think LSD is just a quicker way to access the spiritual realm because everything that we are, everything that exists, is energy. And so when we tap into the spiritual realm and we're able to set our intentions subconsciously and visualize it, we can manifest it, act as if, 
know that it's done. These are just universal laws that are from the foundations of the earth. And the earth is just a little dot on a fingernail of a body of the universe and the solar systems and the galaxies and everything. Everything is energy. So there's a spiritual, our spirit lives forever. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And people don't realize that because they get so caught up in the day-to-day bullshit of their lives. But LSD is just a quicker gateway to get to the subconscious knowing that what happens in the spiritual realm manifests in the natural. So when you're in on a trip, you're more in the subconscious spiritual realm, and then you can manifest quicker. But you can get there through meditation, through knowing that as a man, yeah, as a man thinks that his heart's to a T. The the book, I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's been around since the early 1900s. And that whole book is about visionary. I don't really read books because I, yeah. I don't believe in yeah. books. Well, I don't believe know, in books. It, this it, might it sound is the weird. way that successful people have always become a success is by believing and receiving their dreams to be done and to visualize it and to know that what happens in the spiritual realm happens in the subconscious let's say happens and then it'll manifest in the natural so that's why lsd okay it takes you to that place if you don't have the discipline to meditate and to you know really study how to do that, then LSD is like a very quick gateway to take you to that realm. I mean, I yeah, think so. Yeah, I mean, like every, it is, you know, pretty much a proven fact that almost every successful artist, you know, like whether it's, you know, writing songs or like, you know, uh, uh, Salvatore Dali, like his paintings are like, it's like literally they're like all acid visions, you know. But you know, but I don't want to. I don't want to like. I don't want to. I, I don't want to keep. I don't want to keep talking about these things because people might get the wrong idea. Right. right I right. don't not, think. Yeah. I don't. I don't. For me, okay. I have proof. Like for example, I can give you one quick example. I used to tell people. I used to tell people, hey, you know, you should try this. It, it's life changing. At least it was for me. And there was this one kid. He was just a carpenter. And he was just a normal kid, no specific talents whatsoever. No one really paid attention to him. So I told him, hey, why don't you come with me? And I wouldn't do it like at a party. Always go into the forest because it connects you to nature. And the problem and the reason is why I'm mentioning this is our biggest problem in this civilization, I'm not saying it's a problem because life changes, you know, uh, um, uh, like, uh, you know, Everything always isn't changed. Nothing is ever better back in the days than it is now. It just changes. So now we live in a time of where most people disconnect themselves from nature, and they're usually only connected to their friends and planet Earth or whatever through telephones, television, mostly through social media, including myself. I love social media because for me it's a stage, and I'm a stage person. So I always need a stage. You know, I always need people to show what I'm doing. I love it when people watch me. So, yeah, um, but, nature you know, is a perfect arrangement time. of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love what you're saying because it's exactly true. Our, it's so true, Ralph. Everything that you're saying, I agree with. Yeah. Hold on, let me just tell you the story because it's really, really mind-bending. We disconnect ourselves a lot from nature. If you just spend time in the nature by yourself, listening to your inner voices, you will always find the truth and the right way to do things. But yeah. unfortunately, we don't do that anymore, including me, okay? I spend most of my time in front of telephones and computers. 
So, uh, you know, sometimes you have to remind yourself. But so when I did, when I was young, I had this one guy, Klaus, he was a carpenter. He was studying to be a carpenter. I took him to the forest and I told, made him like take LSD with me. Not made him, it was his choice. One time in his life. So we, we were seeing all these, we were hugging trees and we saw all these amazing things in nature. Then 15 or 20 years later, when I was in the band, I was with my girlfriend for like vacation in Germany. We walk around, there's this big exhibition, and I'm getting really nervous while I'm going there. I walk inside, and I was super, my sheep was like, why are you shaking? I'm like, oh, my God, I can't be in this. This is so weird. So every single piece of art, there was hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art I have seen before in my life, right? This is not a bullshit story. This really happened. So then I walk out. As I walk out, because I can't be anymore, I'm completely, like, feeling weird. There's this guy. He's like, Ralph, is this you? Is this you? I'm like, yeah, who are you? He says, it's me, Klaus. Remember from back in the days in the school? We were like 16 years old. Yeah. Remember you took me to the forest one time and made me to, and we took LSD together? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've never done drugs again since my life. I don't even drink. I've only done this this one time in my life. I don't smoke weed, nothing. But every single piece of art you see here in this museum is based on that one trip that we did together you know, for like 10 hours in the forest. <laughs> wow. And you know what? He is one of the highest paid and most successful artists in all Europe now. Wow. Based on one awesome. LSD trip. One. Yes. He never wow. touched another drug. He doesn't drink. He's completely sober. And nothing happened to him. He's a fantastic person. So that's an example of what can happen to someone. Otherwise, he probably would have just became a carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. That is awesome. I love that. I love that. I love that you are this guy who, you know, looks like just a party animal and all this stuff, but you also do visual art as well. Like tell my listeners a little bit about that. When that journey, you know, you you know why, you know, you know why I, why I go to these parties because there's young people there and I love to like connect myself and stay in touch with young people because it makes me feel young because yes. I feel yes. like a lot of times I still feel like I'm this like 16 or 17 year old child yes. with all these dreams every day yes. I still dream about something new as an artist you don't stop you don't yes. stop once you re- once you reach a certain amount of fame or whatever or you wrote an amazing song the next thing in my mind is like oh my god now I gotta write another song that tops this what I just did so you're always thinking about something new and when I yes. surround myself with younger people it just gives me a yes. young spirit. It just makes me feel young, you know? I'm the same way. So, I'm the same way. I look young for my age. I act young for my age, and I love that. So as a visionary, what's next for you? Like, bring us up to date and the time that we have left. Like, what's going on right now in your life? I know that you're composing movie scores. You're doing a lot of that. You um, are also, like I mentioned, a visual artist. Like, what's going on in your life right now? Well, I mean, I had a phase where I was DJing um, for about two and a half or three years. After I well, after I left the band, I did about 42 feature films, like film scores. And uh, then I kind of got weirded out by that. I didn't want to sit by myself in the studio, so I dropped all that. And I was only painting. I only did it for myself. 
And but I ended up selling quite a few and yada yada yada. You can still see them on my, you know, it's in my bio on my Ralph Rickerman Instagram thing. There's a 3D pop art. You can see, you know, like a quarter of my. I have over 300 paintings. My whole house is covered. But um, uh, now I work with a company called Advanced Nutrients, which is uh, the biggest nutrients companies not not they don't sell any wheat they only sell the nutrients that makes the marijuana grow better and faster the ceo is one of my best friends for like over 10 years big mike and uh, i do all their movie scores like they pump out movies for social media youtube on a daily basis or at least two or three a week and i compose yeah. all the music so, um, you know, and I write songs in between, but there's no such thing as something that I want to do or haven't done. I just, you know, sometimes I just manifest or like dream about an idea or like this or that. Or the other day I was like out and I was having a few drinks and then I was ha- almost ha- was had this idea in my song of writing a song. And I said, guys, let's just go to the studio at like four o'clock in the morning, write a song. Like, now? Dude, it's so late. You're crazy. I said, yes, now. And I showed him my tattoo on my wrist, which says now, because you only live once. You you live in the moment. Like, right now, we we all went to, like, like eight, seven or eight people, and I made everyone sing in a microphone. The song actually sounds really cool. I'll probably finish it soon. So, you know, I I just come up with ideas every day. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes I do that. Whatever, you know, whatever comes uh, in my mind. And it's pretty much more artistic. Yeah. yeah. So since you do go to a lot of these Hollywood parties and you're rubbing elbows and you're friends with so many different celebrities and off on the topic that we were talking about, just like consciously, because like for me, I love connecting with conscious leaders and I put that out into the universe all the time. And I didn't even know that this was your mindset and this is how you are. And it's exactly so many of the things that you said as my clients and my listeners are listening to this, they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly the stuff that Dr. Zoe talked about. And it's awesome how the universe aligns, you know, because originally when I talked to you, I was like, hey, let's do 15, 20 minutes, you know, get a little update. And then you're sharing this stuff. And a lot of the principles and the things that you're sharing are just align universally, like perfectly with conscious leaders. So out of the people that you've met or the people that you know and the people that you're, well, who are some of the conscious, like more enlightened individuals that you feel like just have like a great spirit or energy? You mean like famous people or normal people? Or what are you talking about? Yeah, like famous people, famous people that you're friends with, or do you feel like you are maybe in those circles also to give them some awareness in that regard? Yeah, you know, I, I think almost everyone that really reached the top, you know, like um, is has a very similar mindset than what we just talked about. Some of them yeah. naturally have it. Some of them just meditate. Some of them, you know, they don't need to do anything. They just keep going and keep going and keep going. And, uh, you know, some of them had quite a few experience of what we just talked about of like, you know, self-medication or whatever. And again, it doesn't really matter how you get there, but, you know, almost everyone has one thing in common that people that I've met that leave an impact, they usually come from like disturbed um, Mm. uh, families and they're seeking for love. 
you know, like yeah. the the journey, the journey in like creating art usually comes from like replacing the love that you didn't get as a little child. It was the same for me. My my parents never ever told me that they loved me. Still up mm-hmm. to this day, I never heard mm-hmm. any of my parents ever tell me, "Hey, I love you." Those words so never came out of anyone's mouth. So many people listening. So many people listening. Like you just. You just brought tears to my eyes. Like so many people listening are feeling that. So many people listening. Like I just recently made peace with my mom. I had, you know, my father was a musician. He passed away. He had, you know, drunk driving car accident. He was coming home from a concert that he performed at. He he split on ice and smashed into a tree. He was 27 and he was part of the 27 club. You know, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, all these people who died at 27, all these musicians. My father played every instrument, you know, and he you know, I just, I lost him at 27, but he wasn't a good man. And it was really hard and I felt abandoned. And then my mom went into a mourning for 10 years and she was just, she was just not herself. And I have forgiven her and everything is fine now, but you know, it was tough. Like I was alone. I was abandoned. I was like, literally like an orphan. And I don't think I ever would have became the success that I have or the person that I am or the empath that I am, if I didn't go through those things. And it's true. Every single person that I know had to overcome some major adversity. And what you just said, just about them searching for love. And that's what it's all about. It's just loving one another, no matter what color, creed, culture, religious background, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, all said a lot of the same things. And so I think just spreading love is what it really is all about. And I, I believe that with what you're doing and you're living free and with that young spirit, you're showing people how to live free. And I think that's amazing, Ralph. I really do. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and also, really... also, also when you lack love or when you when you're on the search for love or you don't feel uh, enough love in your life, the the best way of replacing that or like finding love for yourself is actually giving love. You know, and that was always the main model and the main dr- like drive in my life to like push me forward. I didn't really need to be loved. I didn't really need like someone to tell me that they love me. I just wanted to give as much love as possible. Right. Uh, because when you do that, the universe for some reason always gives back, gives you back what you give out there. Like whatever you, yeah. whatever you put out in the universe. And I know it sounds, you know, like cheesy because everyone says that. Whatever you put out there, yeah. it yeah. comes back to you. Sometimes it, it takes a while. You know, same with lies. Every time I lied, especially to women, it always came back to me in a negative way. Right. So, you know, um, yeah. so when, karma, you know, give love, karma. Much love yeah. Yeah, yeah, even if it's something little, you know, you see someone on the street and just smile at them, yeah. you know, like you yeah. will immediately see, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, people coming back to you. I had that phase when I used to do like a lot of E or Molly or whatever, like 10, 20 years ago. And I used to go at like to like at like 10 a.m. completely high to the to the supermarket early in the morning when everyone was kind of grumpy, yeah. or 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. 
And I used to talk to people and just smile <laughs> and I'd just like overwhelm them with love and hugs. Yeah, and I'm yeah, telling you, I love it's that. so overwhelming how people look, how people open up yes. when you do that. Yeah. People open yeah. up like there's no That's tomorrow. Right. If you see yeah. a grumpy person or like an unhappy person, just walk yeah. up to them and give them a hug or like yeah. smile at them. Say, hey, life is yeah. beautiful. You know what? We're so yes. blessed to live on this planet. Yes. You know, we don't, we don't even know where we're coming from. I mean, we don't even know how we ended up here because... We're definitely not part of nature, you know, because yeah. nature does not destroy itself. I don't know where we came from. I don't know what what is up there or what's whatever, you know. I don't. I believe in everything and nothing, but you know, like <laughs> um, you know, people can believe or name it whatever it is. But it's it's wonderful and it's a, it's a miracle. Everything yes. is a miracle. Every breath you take is a miracle, right. and yeah. every you know exhale is just you know. So, if you do that, you know, as your life mission, then you will always succeed with something positive. Yes, I, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're amazing. More amazing than I thought. Here I thought we were going to talk about love, sex, and rock and roll, and it turns to something that is right up my alley. Thank you so much, Ralph. And uh, one more time, let's go ahead and give out your Instagram so people can check out and keep up with you and stay connected to the positivity. Yeah, it's uh, Ralph, like, R-A-L-P-H, like Ralph, uh, and then Space, and then Rickerman, R-I-E-C-K-E-R-M-A-N-N. It's just my name. If you Google it, you know, there's some really weird, crazy shit on the Internet about me, too. That's not true. <laughs> wait, but, wait, wait, you know, wait. Before like, you go, uh, I mean, should we talk? Can we touch on that really quick? Can we kind of clear well, something yeah, up? Mean, or no? Yeah, I mean, there's a... There's a there's, there's a, for example, like uh, like a YouTube video, like a TMZ. I was on TMZ quite a few times. Yeah, the and TMZ I also hold thing. no grudges. Yeah. 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 It's very unfortunate because they pushed me into a car. I didn't even know it was TMZ. They asked me, hey, are you going to like a fetish party after this? And I'm absolutely like, I'm the most harmless or normal person that I know. I have no fetishes whatsoever. I never even had a threesome in my life, okay? Like literally. Are you serious? And, um, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Okay. Well, I know everyone everyone is, but no one really believes me either, but it's true. So I really usually you. women I believe ended you. up Why fighting over me. Then, yeah. No, because usually women ended up fighting over me than rather teaming up to, like, get me together, right. you know, if that makes right. any sense. So, um, but... Uh, yeah, I'm very harmless. I'm a complete one-on-one relationship. One, you know, I'm, I had a lot of one-night stands, but not anymore. Now I'm a total relationship person. Like Susie, best example. We were like heads over here in love for one year. I mean, I didn't look. For me, other girls didn't even exist anymore. You know, mm. so um, and I still love her. But you know, something didn't work out because supposedly we're not compatible, or who knows what. And I think she wants marriage and children. I, I don't really know if she really knows what she wants. Like last time I asked her, how are you doing? I said, oh, you know, I'm still searching for my meaning in life. And I told her, you know what? Let me tell you something, sweetheart. In a text, there is no meaning in life. Just live it. That's the meaning of life. 
There's yeah. no such thing as the meaning of life. That's all an illusion. You know, just live it, be happy, and, you know, do, you know, do the best you can for the people around you and for yourself. That's the meaning of life. There is no deeper yeah. meaning. There's no, like, oh, my God, we're, like, blah, 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 blah. That's all bullshit. Um, I mean, that sounds kind of... All right, let's get back to the TMZ thing so you can clear that up because when you do Google and do research the snuff parties or whatever that you paid 100K Uh, to see somebody murdered at a party, like what is that all about? (laughs) And listen, you you were a rock star for years, you know, so maybe there was a crazy night where you were a little fucked up on something. Like what's the story, Ralph? No, I never went to a snuff party in my life, and I never—I didn't even know they existed. I was invited to an S&M party, which was completely legal in Germany, like about 10 years before I made this interview. And they forced me to talk about shit like that. And I had like about half an hour time to wait for someone. Was it a GQ Man of the Year party before I went to the red carpet? I was waiting for my PR person. So I had some time, and I was like, okay. You want to hear about whatever, whatever? Since the wall came down in Europe, a lot of things have changed. And, you know, that was just when these movies were released, like, you know, Hostel, where they torture people to death. I don't know some of you might remember that movie. Or, like, Taken with Liam Nielsen, where he loses his daughter. So, like, yeah, these yeah, people yeah, that, like, that you know, do yeah. human trafficking. And people think, oh, okay, well, cool movie. But these are not just movies. This is based on real you know, incidents, okay? This stuff happens. Actually, the biggest two money makers in the world right now are drugs and human trafficking. All right. the super rich people, believe it or not, especially in like the, the, the Eastern countries, like Russia or like Armenia, or whatever these, or like, or not, I mean, like, I don't, I can't really name these countries because I don't know, okay? Right. I have no knowledge about it. But I know ever since the wall came down, a lot of those mafia people from the East, you know, from like all these Russian countries and stuff, they came into Europe and things changed radically because these people, they go, they don't care. They, you know, they walk over dead people like that. All they care about is power and money, you know. So. I was invited to this S&M party, and this is actually what I'm talking about, my experience at that party. And I didn't like it. After 10 minutes, it's not my cup of tea. I told the guy, listen, I'm out of here. I don't, I'm not, this doesn't turn me on at all. If anything, it turns right. me off. So how, says, well, let me show you something. so how did TMZ spin that into? Hold on, paid, hold on, yeah. hold on. Okay, so, I'm, okay, so I'm listening. I, so they, they, they were, what, what happened was is the cameraman was in my face. For like at least right. five or eight, almost ten minutes, say, "Come on, tell us. You're a rock star. You must have seen something. You must have, like, you know, you must have some kind of fetish." Blah 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 blah. I said, "Okay, you know what? We have, we have a little time. Let me give you a little piece of advice and education for whoever is listening to your stuff." It didn't even say TMZ on the camera. I had no idea who the hell that guy was. Right. So I told him, I said, "Be careful, parents out there. Since the war came down, to send your children." to Europe, okay? Europe is not as safe as America. It's hardcore over there, hardcore. You know, people, I saw people get stabbed to death right next to me in the club because they don't have the same security over there than in America. Right. So, and and I told him, listen, I went to one S&M party once, okay? And I can tell you what happened there. 
And it was, you know, I, it, I I didn't like it. And then as I was leaving, the owner of the club, Big Scorpion, was like, come on, you're a rock star. Let me show you something a little more hardcore. He took me downstairs to these rooms that I'm talking about in this video. When I see one room, I said one thing that was more disgusting. I'm describing what I saw at this S&M party, which is completely right. legal in Germany. Right. Okay? Right. So he took me downstairs, and there was like, you know, like people like – doing some little more hardcore S&M, and I wanted to slow up. It was so disgusting. I hated yeah. it. My face turned green. I ran out the door. He came running after me before I could exit. He said, listen, dude, you have a weak, weak, you're a weak person. You're supposed to be this hardcore rock star. Dude, I said, I'm not a rock star. Let me get the fuck out of here. I don't want nothing to do with this shit. I don't want right. to see this. Right, it's right, right. Something for me, right? Said, yeah. Well, let me tell you something. You should come sometimes when they do snuff parties here. I'm like, what the fuck is a snuff party? And he told me, and this guy did, these guys don't bullshit, okay? They, they, the, the pimps on the red light district in, uh, in, in Hamburg is the biggest red light district in the world, the Raper Bond. It is, in Hamburg. So he said, yeah, okay. sometimes they do snuff parties. I'm like, what the hell is a snuff party? So he explained it to me. He said, yeah. You know, they, they 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 get, you know, these girls or whatever, and people come together and they pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes more, even millions, the super rich, and they torture them to death right in front of you. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? He says, no, wow. this happens wow. on a weekly basis in this town. Wow. I've yeah. never seen, listen, if I, if I would have ever attended something like that, okay, yeah. the people that do these things and talk about it on camera, they would have, within this then 48 hours, they would have killed me and my entire family. We would have been right. wiped away from this planet. 100%. Yeah. Number one. Number two, if there was any truth to me attending snuff parties, the FBI and all kinds of people would have knocked at my door and arrested oh, yeah. me. It's just TMZ. They like it's, to get a story. They like to twist words and everything. And listen, I've heard of the craziest stuff. I had a guy who wrote a book on the show a few years back, on this show a few years back, and it was about cannibalism, sexual cannibalism, where a guy, you know, actually was eaten, like, by another man for sexual purposes. There's nothing that would shock me, and I, you know, totally believe you. And obviously, after our interview today, I could tell that you're, you know, just a whole different type of vibe than I actually even thought. So all that stuff that you see out there when you Google Ralph is bullshit. So I'm glad you had a chance to clear it up here on Dr. Zoe today. And um, I appreciate you being open well, and honest I mean, about the, it. The, the, the thing is, the thing is, it was a, almost a 25-minute long video that I gave with nothing but the best intentions to warn people about the bad stuff that goes on in Europe since the wall came down, right? Right. So, and what they did is they 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 took like literally split seconds here 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 and edited away, edited together in a yeah. some very smart way, and then put the funny voice on it, made fun of Germans, and yeah. but it sounds like it sounds like I am the one that attended snuff parties, which which never happened. That's a complete lie and bullshit. And I'm still, still fighting with the, with people every day, talking to them to t try to talk, tell them to take it down, because yeah. you know it's been like what 15 or 16 years now. Oh wow! And, you know, I didn't realize it was that long yeah. ago. Yeah. 
And then wow, they called crazy. the scorpions. They had scorpions. After that, there was a website that said scorpions, they eat little children and kill them. They're like, scorpions are the most harmless band ever. They don't do anything. You know, they're like yeah. all married with kids. And you the know, most like, successful, one coming. of the most successful bands ever, too. I mean, you think about it. I mean, I think that... Uh, 100 million albums sold, you know, all this stuff, like world-renowned, been around since 1965, unbelievable. Listen, we've got to end the show, and we're running out of time. I want to thank you again for clearing that up. I love your spirit, your energy, your vibe, and um, I'm excited to see what's next for you. You know what I mean? And I, the best thing for you to do really with this, if it's been that long since it's out there and everything, is just to like let it go and let it clear up itself and just, you know, keep being you. And then the people who know you and love you are going to know that that's bullshit, you know? So, I mean, no I matter know, what you keeps, do. It keeps coming back. People keep yeah. reposting it on social media and blah, blah, blah. And it's really annoying, you know, like every time of I hear course. about it, I forget, I, I choose to forget about it, but it's just like really annoying, you know? Anyway, well, you yeah, well, yeah I wanted you to, I wanted you to have a chance to tell your side of it and to clarify because I wasn't, you know, I knew t- anything TMZ. Come on, like we all know, <laughs> we all know. No, not TMZ anymore. Stuff. I mean, now, now yeah. they're actually just a news outlet. Okay, it was yeah. in the beginning when they started. Yeah. It was not just me. They took almost every celebrity yeah. and turned their oh, stories yeah. around. 100%. They, they, wow. they, 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 in the same segment, they said that. Uh, that Mel Gibson supposedly beats the shit out of his children. I hung out with him. Mel Gibson is such <laughs> yeah. a sweetheart, yeah. and he's a very yeah. religious person. He would never touch his children. Complete bullshit. Right. Yeah. You know, they just did that back in the it day. Comes, to like, it you know, comes go- with the territory. It just comes with it comes with the territory. If you're doing anything of any substance in the world, there's going to be some type of like people right now listening. They're dealing with online bullies, or they're dealing with backstabbers or they're dealing with haters or they're dealing with, you know, somebody that, you know, they're successful and somebody in their family is jealous. So they talk shit about them, you know, at any level in life, there's going to be, you know, and then when you're a celebrity or you're icon, especially, or you're legendary, there's going to be more and more smear campaigns and people trying to, to taint. And it's all just contrived for attention, uh, clout purposes, jealousy, so there's no validity to it, you know. That's that. It's mostly, you know what I mean? it's mostly business. I mean, in the in the case of TMZ, it was their business model. It worked for them back then. Right. It turned them into a monster. It made them right. billions and billions of dollars. And you know, I mean, it is what it is. You, you can't yeah. you can't fight a monster like that because they have so many lawyers. It's like you know, and they don't really give a shit. They don't care. Well, blessings to you. Namaste. Peace, love, harmony, all those good things. And I really enjoyed this interview. Thank you so much again for being on Dr. Zoe today. And all my listeners, tune in next time for real, raw, relevant information. We're going to leave you with a little scorpion there. So. Keep on listening to the
my brother.